Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today we're going to be talking oysters, our second podcast on oysters, this time with Talmadge Petty. He is the founder and the president of the Hollywood Oyster Company. He's a good friend of mine, and I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. Hey, Talmadge. Welcome to the podcast. Good to see you, man. Hey, Ted. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. And where are you sitting right now? Are you in Are you in Maryland as we speak? I am in Hollywood, Maryland, right on the western shore of the Chesapeake Bay. Perfect. And uh, and and your day. How did your How did your day? How is your day starting off? Do you have morning routines that you have to get into? I've already introduced you as the founder and the uh, and the president of Hollywood Oyster. So everybody knows you're an oyster farmer. Yeah, I. Uh... The, the question is the morning routine. Yeah, I get up around six every day and I, I say hello to the world and step outside and just breathe the air and think about the weather and stuff like that. And then I meditate and then I uh, and then I do some yoga and then uh, and then the family wakes up and I'm, I'm, I'm fast at it. We are a house with two small businesses. Well, uh, now I figured that you were you were down on the water, you know, early in the morning. Is that not the drill? Yeah, I have an awesome team, and uh, I go to the farm three days a week, and mostly just um, have meetings. Mostly, I sell and um, and manage money and stuff like that these days. Cool. And so, I, I introduce you as an oyster farmer. Is that what you would call yourself? Oh, for sure. I, and if I'm in a mood, I call myself an oyster whisperer. <laughs> but it's a uh, stewardship thing. It's it's you know that so even though I'm not, I'm, you know I've I've done I I know a thing or two about growing oysters and have done that for many many years. And we're just at a size now where I do the management stuff. But right. to me, that it's yeah oyster whisperer and farmer. You know and you know in an urban environment. You know, people think, oh, you're a farmer. You know, it's like, you know, I'm doing IT or I'm doing finance or whatever. And to me, it's a it's a very proud thing to be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I've heard that you have a truck and you're running not just your own oysters, but other farmers' oysters up into New England. Is that right? Um, well, we sell nationally. And, um, and the way we do that is we are 90 minutes. We're lucky to be only 90 minutes from a major distribution point. So um, it's, you know, once you grow an oyster, then you have to sell an oyster. And uh, there's a lot of people that sort of have figured out how to grow an oyster, but um, there's a whole other world out there of, of just getting it to the customer reliably and consistency, consistently. Um, I, you know, we shell to, let's say Vegas or, and I just tell the team, you know, the chef in Vegas doesn't give a flying F what the weather is in Maryland, you know, and we got to get them there no matter the weather or what. So we, um, we send a truck, uh, up to the distribution point and airport, uh, four days a week. And where is that airport? Is that, that's not Washington Dulles. For us, it's, it's Baltimore. So we Uh go up, there's a trucking depot and it's called Jessup, Maryland. Yeah. And it's right off of 95 on the run from Maine down to Florida. Right. And so now your oysters are going, you said nationally, uh, how many states are they going out to? I haven't counted states, but probably 20 or so. Probably yeah. more than that, because some distributors hit just 10 or 12 on their own. 
Right. And then and then you are taking oysters from other from other folks as well. Actually, I'm, I'm not doing that. What I am. Do, I have mentored some farms. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I do is um, I'll work with other. We have a pretty big farm, but sometimes I'll supplement uh, with other farms that we've mentored and meet our quality control standards. Right. So what is a big farm? Um, number of oysters. We sell a couple of million oysters a year. And so for me, that's actually not very big. But yeah. I, I just recently, someone just recently told me that that there's really less than 50 farms that are that big in the country. And I that was actually eye opening to me. And I just learned that. Really? Really? Huh? Well, so let's let's back up. I know this story, but I'm sure our listeners are going to be curious. How did this all come about? You grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, your parents knew each other. Uh, we have, we have, we've known each other since we were, I guess, probably in diapers, <laughs> actually. Um, and, and you went off to University of Vermont and we, we connected there. Um, but then you went off into commercial real estate. And how did this all come about that you pivoted to become an oyster farmer? I think you gave the best summary that we should give in the time here. And I think the answer is that my folks, when we, we actually, I was actually born in New York City and um, up and we moved to DC when I was about uh, eight or 10. And between, and, and when we were in New York, we went, we had a country place. We were pretty lucky. And literally every Friday night, uh, we were yanked out of the city and went to a, literally a place with a pond. And, uh, and then we, you know, parachuted back into, into New York on Sunday night. And, and you know, the, my sob story is that I never went to the birthday parties. But the wonderful part is, you know, I grew up um, as, a, as a New York City kid, you know, catching, uh, catching crayfish and, and fish. Uh, and then when we moved to D.C., we, we, have a, we got a 300-acre farm uh, an hour and a half south of the city. And uh, when I was a teenager um, and, and was a little rebellious, I would literally just take the bus downtown and jump on a Greyhound bus and go to the farm and, and was kind of a feral child on the farm. Well, okay. So that's some of the early, those some of the early days, but you did go off into, I mean, when you were in Boston, you did go off into commercial real estate. You had a number of you had a number of ventures that you were working on, but but something changed in your life that you wanted to go back to the farm and use that asset, I guess, for an oyster farm. Yeah, so we had the farm, and so yeah, I had an MBA in there, and and a wonderful family, four kids, and uh, and yeah, I never really was super happy and changed careers every seven or so years, um, and um, somewhere in there. Uh, in Maryland, we have a program where for basically for oyster gardening, where you get a tax credit to uh, to buy the equipment and oyster seed every year. So before I went commercial, uh, I actually spent about 10 years oyster gardening. And then I did it for, you know, I told my friends and then they all went and called their accountants and then they found that they could do it too. And we had the oyster, uh, oyster grower watcher club. And so you would come down, if they came down, the job was to, you had to bring a bottle of, of some libation and we would watch the oysters grow. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so. The tax credits gave you the the initial capital, I guess, or, or at least took care of the initial. That, that, what that did was that got me that kept me um, 
uh, from drinking too many gin and tonics on the weekend. And I, you know, I would just jump in the water and, 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 and tend the oysters. Yeah. Um, and then I, we, we would grow, you know, 10,000, 15,000 oysters and I can't eat that many. And so I'd have a big party every year. And uh, somewhere in there, some chef friends came down and said, Tell you know, these are really good oysters. And that was right around the time when the laws in Maryland changed. That was 2010. And the laws changed to basically pr promote uh, aquaculture in the state. And so I was one of the first farms um, in, that, in that early crop of, uh, of licenses. Right. And what would, what would be a good oyster? I, I'm, I'm sure it's the taste, right? Is it also the yeah, size? Yeah, it's the whole miroir terroir thing. So we have the miroir. And, and so the, you know, the pitch on our oysters is, is we have, um, well, first of all, you have to grow a quality oyster. And there's a whole discussion there about the shuckability and the shell structure and the shape of it and the look of it. Uh, but it's really about the taste. And uh, we have this creek, which is fossil lined. Um, and with a shell, with a clay substrate. And so, and we're in the upper Chesapeake Bay, there's not a lot of salt. And so when you, and if you're up in New York or in New England and part of Chicago and parts of the world, you know, people think that you gotta have a salty oyster and we've got a sweet oyster. When the reason, you know, you know, you take the salt away and a lot of oysters in our area, there's, there's not a lot of flavor. There's no real there there. And so our, we're, we're really lucky. We have a golden area where, where there's a mineral finish and, and a floral, taste and the chefs love it the customers love it yeah that's fantastic so when you started out growing um i guess in the uh, in the old days what the, a lot of the oysters beds were wiped out because there were people were dredging i guess oyster men were dredging and uh clearing out oyster beds and and uh but you you started by growing oysters in cages right yeah so the discussion there is there's there's aquaculture and then there's wild harvest and and I you know in in in, uh, in you know it's it's sort of the it's sort of the farmer it's sort of the cowboys and the ranchers type thing, and um, uh, I'm really into the sustainability side of life, which is uh, you know oysters are are on the top of the charts of, of as far as sustainability, and and uh, the question is with wild oysters is is you know yeah you're depleting oyster beds and are they coming back and in the in the bay or in the bay here. Uh, we had some diseases a uh, decade or two ago that were that were wiping out the wild oysters. Uh, but, you know, to this day, uh, the aquaculture uh, in the bay compared to the volume of, of harvest compared to the wild harvest is, is still, you know, it's less than 25 percent. And um, uh, there is a large demand for oysters out there. There's basically and and uh, in Maryland, we actually in the public waters um uh they actually reseed those so it's basically public aquaculture in areas where they dredge them uh and then there's the chesapeake bay foundation they close off a lot of big creeks so that they are naturally being restored and there's a whole discussion around that but but to me there's there's a whole vibrant discussion and of evolution of the of the community uh where aquaculture is growing and and the habitat of the bay is increasing so you're you're doing you're doing aquaculture, right? With oysters I, in cages. I do, but you know, just to say it, I buy a lot of wild oysters in the winter because I'm in a waterman's community and uh, I have customers that want them. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now let's talk about, uh, I had George Lindsay on who is uh, involved with uh, 
creating this, uh, this involved with the foundation up in Oyster Bay where they're very involved with education of, of kids and, and the benefits of, of oysters. Uh, and it, it sounds like an oyster can filter just a huge amount of water every day, what, 30 or 40 gallons of water a day. And, and it's that filtration that is one of the real ecological benefits of oysters. Is that right? That's what, that's what our media says. And so, of course, it is. Um, and it's even 50 gallons a day. Um, and, uh, but for me, it's the proverbial drop in the bucket. I mean, it's a really good thing. Every, every, every gallon matters. Uh, but you know, our river is the deepest river in the East coast. It's, it's, um, and where we are, it's a, it's a mile wide and 72 feet deep halfway out. Uh, the man overboard drill in the Creek where we are is stand up, but it's a, it's a, it's a big, the point is it's a big river with a large volume of water. To me, what I really love about oyster farming is that we have thousands of cages and the habitat, even though we rotate those cages every month, two months, whatever, depending on the size, um, we put a cage in the water with some, with tumbled oysters all cleaned up and, and pretty clean cage. And then we pull them out um, and the, it's just teeming with life. It's just, it, I mean, there's, there's crabs, there's eels, there's fish, there's seaweed, there's, and then you have all the bigger fish and then you look at the ripples of the water. And so the meat and, and then the beat and then the bigger fish are eating the little fish and the birds are eating the big fish. And there's just this whole area where, where before we were there, our, our bottom is a hard sandy bottom. It's basically a desert with water on top. And, and so we have populated our entire farm with cages and it sounds like, wow, that's a lot of wire and whatever. No, it's habitat. And it's like the whole, you know, gee, why do fishermen go to the wrecks on the bottom? I don't think we're moving quite as to a wreck, but the point is they, they congregate and it's, it's a habitat creation. Interesting. And how, how many, how old are the oysters when you harvest them? Are they two They're or three years two old? two years on average. It takes two. us two years to grow a three inch oyster. A three inch, and that's the size you're shooting for. Yeah, we sell. We I, I actually just had a I literally just got off the phone with uh, with our farm. We're having a really good season, and they all like popped. So my my problem this month is that is that uh, all my all my two and a half inch oysters, which are supposed to be beautifully three inches for the fall harvest, and and before it gets cold again and through the winter. Uh, a whole bunch of them are three and a half inches, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, now I'm selling some three and a half inch oysters. Huh, huh. Now, do you harvest in the winter also? It sounds like maybe not. We harvest 52 weeks a year, four days a week. It's called feeding the beast. And that's one of those things about being an oyster farmer. It's, um, it's not like corn uh, or, you know, or any, any field crop, which you, you, know, you grow it, you harvest it, and then you wait and you, know, you let it grow. It's, it's, uh, we harvest every week. And, and the customers we have don't understand the word no. What do you mean you don't have oysters? If you literally, I, it's you, you, it's, we sell, it's anyway, I won't go into the sales side, but that's just what we, we do, what we do. And we normalize our operations to meet that. Yeah. Yeah. And then were oysters in the old days, I'm talking 40, 50 years ago, were they much bigger? Are oysters smaller now? This is a question. I just got back from the West coast. Uh, on a sales event, and and I had a whole bunch of people asking me for smaller oysters. They thought that my my three inch oysters were a little big. Oh, so really? it's a it's a it's a consumer thing. It's it's um, uh, uh, are they bigger? 
the big, mostly the mostly the really big oysters get shocked, um, and they're sort of more than a mouthful. And I think that I, generally the the oyster eating population it varies. Like if you're down on the Gulf, they want a three or three and a half inch oyster, but uh, a lot of the urban customers uh, like a two and a half to three inch oyster. It's, they want to taste it and roll it around in their tongue, but not necessarily uh, have to chew it and gulp it. And do you eat oysters every day, Talmadge? Sweet Jesus, yes. <laughs> Your stomach must be full of oysters all the time. Um, what they are the vitamin? They put they put let you know you know va va voom. It's good for you. I mean just curious about whether you're trying to grow the operation larger or whether it's just at a good a good size to sort of sustain your operation and in your interest um we're going to grow it a little bigger um but it it really is a volume game uh it's it's because of the vagaries of the market it's i i as a seller i find it difficult to sort of have oysters for part of the year and then not have them for part of the year um, and I have a lot of overhead. I have a packing house. I have lots of boats and equipment and, and to carry that overhead, you need to carry a certain volume. I've really, after 12 years, I'm really just starting to get, um, get some decent cash flow. Um, and, and so you'll have, do you have, you, do you say you have literally thousands of cages out there in the water? Yes. And, and you've got them all sort of mapped out. So, you know, what, I guess they're all time stamped or something like that. Oh yeah, inventory management's a key. If you like, like, that would be a total. Can I say shit show on this on the air? It's it, yes, inventory management's key. We we know exactly. Uh, we mostly by rows of about fifty cages, but basically right. we um, uh, we know actually we know what's in every cage and when it went in and when it went out and what size and there's a whole discussion what size oyster and things like that are in the cage. And are they all growing at pretty much the same rate? So that one cage, you're not having to sort through all the oysters in a cage for for size. Uh, oyster farming. Here we go. So yeah, it, they actually grow at different sizes. And so one of the reasons we pull them out, we tumble them, we, we chip the growing edge, it develops a nice uh, deep cup. It gives a shell hardens up the shell uh, to make a good product. Uh, but it also sorts them by size. So we put them back in uh, in a relatively, uh, we put them back in to grow again, uh, relatively uniform size. So that actually normalizes our harvest size. So so this time of year, we pull a cage uh of hard through the winter of, of harvest sized oysters basically 80 90 percent of them uh, are ready to market and the others we just throw back and let them grow some more so how, so how many times are you pulling up the cage in the life of the oyster if you start at at about an inch it's really only uh two you know, every time you touch a cage you're losing money right it's costing you time uh where it's really only uh three maybe four times but up to an inch uh, oh my gosh. I mean, we start them at basically one or two millimeters. It's a little bigger than the grain of sand. And those babies are touched once a week. Uh, and then, you know, once every two weeks and once every month up until there is until, uh, until that we have a whole, we have a whole seed team. We have a, uh, we have a whole nursery, you know, a whole elementary school team and we have a high school team. We have three, we have three production teams on the dock. Really? And in this touching them, you said you're, you're trying to harden the shell you shape the shell is that right yeah yeah that's all part of the of, of the of, of uh, having a uh, large plump firm desirable oyster meat is shaping the shell uh yeah 
And, you, and so you take them out and you put them in some sort of a tumbler and that sort of chips off the any spikes and things that might be? They grow They grow from one end. It's kind of, kind of like a fingernail, but it's a shell. And, and chipping that growing edge uh, uh, thickens up the shell and, and has them cup out. Uh, and it also does, but here in the Chesapeake, especially where there's more salt, there's... there's uh, uh, growers take shortcuts and they have a chalky shell and they're, and they're, they're, they're not as desirable by the chefs. And so that's actually, a, there's a, that's deep oyster farming stuff, but not every oyster is the same. Yeah. Boy, it's so interesting, Talmadge. I had no idea that that, that, that happened. I just imagined that they were just sitting out there and that was that, but uh, that you're actually handling them to that degree is, is amazing to me. So how many, like you said, you've got a good team. How many people do you have now working on the farm? We've got 15 people on the payroll. Yeah, yeah, that's what it takes, huh? Yeah, I don't want to get much bigger than that, but I, you know, one of your, you know, the the team is everything, and that's what I, I guess you asked what I was doing earlier is is I, you know, I've learned a thing or two in the last 10 or 12 years growing a, growing a farm is growing a team, and I've realized that that's where really I spend more and more of my time is is just managing the culture and working with everybody to make all the pieces uh, hum. Yeah. And are, what, what kind of person is, is, is a good oysterman have you found? Oh my God. Just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, an oyster fire that we're all characters. I think that's the best way to put it. I think, I think for, yeah, the people that are out on, like you said, they're out on the water 52 weeks a year, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're, and they love it. I mean, that's what the first question I ask is like, this is an outdoor job. You like getting wet? You know, you like being outside? Yeah, yeah. Huh. So how do, how do then, let's just talk a little bit more about the marketing of your product. We talked a little bit about growing your product, but then you're, you've obviously you've got these great channels. You're sending oysters all over the country. How does that come about? Do you go to trade shows or, or, or do you advertise or how does that, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you asked my, you know, I was in before I was a real estate developer. I was a I was a real estate broker, so right out of college, and so you know, you pick up. I know how to pick up the phone and 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 take no for an answer and <laughs> and make a sale and just get through to the right person and and make the pitch and and so I'm lucky to have that skill. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we go to we go to shows and events and 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 promote the product and we we have. Um, we have really good branding. I mean, we're we're lucky to have good names and 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 logos and branding to to re- reflect that. That basically, my whole thing is: someone goes in a restaurant and they look at a menu of oysters. You want to put a smile on their face and you want them to choose your oyster. So what I mean, what is your what what makes them smile? I mean, Hollywood oyster to begin with. Yeah, right. we have a sweet Jesus oyster. Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay, but sweet <laughs> Jesus. That's a good oyster. <laughs> And we have a vavavu oyster because it's true what they say about oysters. Vavavu. Uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So um, now you let's let's just use Vegas as an example. Uh, your oysters are shipped to Vegas. Are, they must be shipped to what a, a food distributor in Vegas? Yeah. So I work with I work with food uh, regional quality. Uh, uh, they're called they're either seafood distributors or protein. So I'm sold along with chicken, beef, and turkey, and whatever else. And so it's finding those distributors in each one of these cities or each one of these markets. That's that's the key. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 business to business sales, and it's all relationships. Right. And, and are they 
I, I mean, I, I presume they're hammering you on the price and you're saying, no, I can't take that. I just got to be this. And it's got to be a lot of negotiation. Yeah. It's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's business sales and it's, and it's related. It's, I mean, it, you get in the, it's like anything in business, you get in the door and then you got to deliver. And, yeah. and um, we have a reputation for consistency and reliability. And, and that's what we, that's what I work on here at the farm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the really good taste. So interesting what you said about the uh, the conditions that create that taste, whether it's salty or minerals in the water, all that good stuff. Where where are I mean, of course, you think that the Chesapeake Bay has the best oysters in in the world, but where would you say are the second? Where are some of the uh, the second best oysters? Where do they come oh, from? Oh, that's good. I'm just gonna be up to go there, but but I just <laughs> to me, variety is the spice of life. And so if I go to if I go to an oyster bar and I, I you know. You, you buy a dozen. I just hope you choose three or four of ours. But really, that's the fun part is to is to, to try them choose all. the different types and to savor the different ones and see what your experience uh, makes you happy. Yeah, were there were there people when was it, were there family members uh, and friends and others that that sort of saw you going off into being in, into the oyster world and thought, oh, there goes Talmadge, uh, he ain't coming back, um, and, and thought thought you were kind of crazy or or. What was the reaction from the, your loved ones? Well, there, you know, I I had left my wife. I had I had I did a couple of other um, things at the same point in time, and I, that was a point in time in my life where I had you know I finally woke up and realized that I'd been living my life to meet other people's expectations, and and you know, that's a whole discussion. But uh, I'm living my life, and and it's the best decision and thing I ever did. Does the farming? Um... How does that affect your life? I, I just imagine it's a very stabilizing kind of f- effect, right? It's just an ongoing, every day. You're, you're, you have to be out there working, working the farm. Yeah, um, and I would say that the whole connection with nature and the world is is really a part of the satisfaction of it. I mean, we're a small business. My wife has a small business, and and I have a lot of children and family, and so that's a that's a big component of my life. Uh, but the farming connection um, is very real and is very grounding, and yeah. and helps you see a lot of things um, deeply. Yeah, yeah, I would think, I would think, and I know you've got a, a very young, beautiful child that's keeping you. Uh, keeping you nice and active. Uh, what else, what else are you doing to, to relax and have fun? I think our big excitement in the day is chicken TV. <laughs> what does that mean? Chicken well, TV? We go to the farm and we pull out a couple of folding chairs and we, we pull out the scraps from the garden. We love gardening too. And, and we feed them to the chickens and, and we just, we just sit and watch chicken TV. There's a very active social life on those chickens. <laughs> You're leading the good life. It's great. It's just great. Is there anything I, I'm forgetting to ask you, Talmadge, that you would want, you would want to lay out here? I thought that was a great set of questions, Ted. You're awesome. Okay. Oh, well, it's fun. It's easy to ask questions when you're interested in a topic. And I, I'm, I'll just end by saying I'm just terribly impressed by what you've accomplished. And not just from a business standpoint, but that you made a huge pivot in your life. I watched from a distance, but I, you made a huge pivot in your life to, to find a new path. And this is a, 
this is a, a really good tasting path that you chose. Thank <laughs> so you, thanks, Tal. Thanks for being on the podcast. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time. Thank you.